Is cryptocurrency being used for evil purposes? Is Bitcoin the primary method criminals depend on to sell illicit goods? And are terrorists benefiting from the rise of crypto? Well, get ready for some profound content and discussion as we welcome Oz Sultan, board member on the Homeland Security Foundation of America, to the show. Oz has worked with world leaders and dignitaries from around the globe, and he's really got his finger on the pulse of what's happening with financial markets and the politics of crypto. Plus, he's just a really cool guy to hang out with. He's the Sultan of Crypto. So follow us down the yellow brick road as we're off to meet the Wizard of Oz, Sultan, on episode number 119 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Yeah, man, welcome to the badcryptopodcast.com. Badcryptocrypto.com. Yeah. Joel, come here, man. And Mr. Travis Wright. Yeah, they're, they're, I love those those songs. We should have more of those. If you are a fan of the bad crypto and you have some music skills and want to submit a uh, bad crypto jingle, feel free. You can email us at badcryptopodcast at gmail.com. Uh, <laughs> Uh, crypto podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Let's give a shout out to our show sponsor, the Zilla app that is available on the iOS operating system. That's your iPhone. If you don't know that Apple is iOS, you can download it in the Apple app store and this is what you use to look at the icos that are available out there and determine if you want to investify in them where allowed by law of course this is an early build so there's no chat or wallet in the app yet but they're coming soon and for you android users that's okay we got yours coming also download the zilla app on the app store do it today z-i-l-l-a you have one new message Hey everybody, this is Mike. I'm just calling to wish my beautiful girlfriend and I a happy one year anniversary. I love you, Lindsay, and stay bad. We're off to see the wizard. The wonderful wizard of Oz. These guys. You guys. You guys. (laughs) Wait, is he a sultan of swing? Yes, a wonderful whiz. If ever a whiz there was. I'm the sultan of schmaltz. (laughs) (laughs) He is the one, the only Oz Sultan. And Oz is a tech and marketing industry veteran. He's got 20 years experience developing innovative solutions for brands and Fortune 100 companies. Those are all the biggies. He's at the forefront of the American Muslim affairs as well as diplomatic and interfaith engagement. He is also a board member on the Homeland Security Foundation of America, and he has created a digital anti-ISIS framework and counter-radicalization and disruption methodology for stopping online terror. We're going to talk a lot about that, about counterterrorism, about social media, about uh, big data. We're going to talk about the Trump campaign, and uh, Oz regularly contributes to Texas GOP Vote, The Ish, and Newsmax. Welcome, Bad Oz, to Bad Crypto. Aloha. How's everybody? 
Oh, I should say I should say Pip Pip because I'm in London. But um, Pip Pip, cheerio, Pip Pip, uh, Man, cheerio. You, no, Joel, you made this sound like we're going to get all super political in this one. So is that well, you didn't mention one thing about the cryptos. You're like we're going to talk about terrorism and ISIS and Trump and well, like, well, the, 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 hold on. The seg- the segue there is that we found ISIS using crypto to sell people specifically yazidi slaves and human organs um which is kind of what led me into all of this crypto craziness that we're in today holy crap let's just start right there unpack yeah. that oz whoa, whoa. so if you if you guys want to google oz sultan space u.s army cyber what you're going to get is last fall's u.s army cyber defense review which has an article that i published that was based on a couple different studies that we did um private studies, including a Twitter analysis, uh, some analysis of how ISIS radicalizes online and what their framework, which is, which is, is literally like it's a mixture of cult philosophy and multi-level marketing. So it's, it's strangely, it's strangely perplexing, I think, to a lot of folks that didn't grow up in like 80s and 90s America where MLM was a thing, but it's, it's like a cross in between like Herbalife and, you know, the Branch Davidians in terms of, of what they do things. But the, the reason we started looking at this more heavily in terms of the crypto space was if you think about not just terror groups, but you think about white supremacist groups and extremist groups, you know, it used to be if we go back to go back a decade or two, you talk about like the IRA or you talk about, you know, the PLO or some of these organizations, the only way to send them money was to physically put it in the mail and send it to some post stop somewhere and hope they got it. And you're typically sending it in cash. What has happened now with the proliferation of the internet and the deconstruction of, I think the traditional standard cultural edifices that we had inside of you know generation x and even top millennial culture so bottom millennial culture and generation z culture literally has lived with like a lot of things they live without rather a lot of things that we had there is no cold war they don't remember the russians they don't remember germany with a wall uh they've never had to experience the horrors of a war firsthand because we pulled, you know, showing American soldiers' bodies coming home off the television set somewhere around 2004. They have not had to want, you know, the way that we would want things in the 80s and 90s where, like, you had to wait for something to come out. You know, there's the ability to purchase things on demand. If something doesn't come with Amazon two-day shipping, um, you're pissed off. And that sort of ideology coupled with a lot of malaise, okay? And, you know, take a look at the incel you know, the, the truck killing spree up in um, Canada this week. And, and you saw, you find a lot of parallels inside of the ISIS ideology that have been echoed out there and really being you know, pushed to radicalize people. But the, the crypto aspect, you know, talking kind of long-winded here, but the crypto aspect factors in that Generation Z and millennials, statistically 60% or more, are more likely to leverage crypto than they are stocks, bonds, any traditional, you know, investment vehicle that their parents had leveraged, as well as, you know, corporate and government ones. And they also have the ability to access the, the crypto in, in a variety of ways that is reasonably untraceable. And so the proliferation of Bitcoin donations across the course of the past five years to terror and insurgent groups, as well as, you know, anti-American groups that are out there, inside of our domestic borders has proliferated. And what happened was when Bitcoin jumped to 600, everyone started going, ooh, 
when Bitcoin went and crested 5,000, they go, oh, when it hit 10,000, people started mortgaging their houses. But what happened on the opposite side of this was if you look at terrorist organizations, and now we're talking ISIS, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, Al-Qaeda in the Indian subcontinent, Abu Sayyaf, as well as a variety of other players that um, are partners or, you know, colleagues of Boko Haram um, in the African subcontinent, these people got a lot of crypto and donations. So what happens if you don't use your crypto and it sits around for a while? I mean, there, in certain cases, they, by reasonable estimates, ISIS is sitting on something in excess of 30 to $50 million in crypto. Wow. And if you talk to any of the the nonprofit, non-governmental organizations built in based in Europe, what they've had to do is um, purchase the women back because there's no NGO that will actually go in. And when they've had to purchase the women back, what you're talking about is you know uh, anything. And this is going to be graphic, but anything from uh, a virgin to a woman who has been systematically raped um, by dozens of men on a daily basis, you know, uh, e- extracting them ranges from fifteen thousand to forty thousand dollars U.S. And that was typically paid in Bitcoin. In certain cases, it was paid Monero. And the challenges that you have is really kind of bridging. There's three worlds here that have to be bridged. Okay. One is that of culture. So there's a generation Z millennial culture that is significantly different than what people in, you know, I'd say traditional warfare are accustomed to. Then there's the changing nature of the cult structure and the cult structures inculcation inside of stealing ideas from Muslim books and tenants and and radicalizing them in methodologies that now fit a weaponized structure. And so now what we have is these new radicals. And then the third portion of this is cryptocurrency. So that's what the Venn diagram looks like. And that's that little sweet spot in the middle. And, you know, we've consulted in the security affairs over the past year and a half. I've talked with a couple major payment companies, one of which was subpoenaed by the Justice Department. And for you not getting sued and shut down for this episode, I'm not going to name them. But we talked to them last year, and I was like, ISIS is using your site to sell women and sex. And they're like, no, they're not. And I was like, yeah, they are. And three weeks later, the Justice Department subpoenaed them, right? So a lot of that got us into this space. A lot of that kind of started the process of me and crypto. And then what I was working on last year was a ICO, which we're going to come back to later this year, that basically tackles the problem by helping us crowdsource the information to disrupt these activities on the dark web and do what really needs to be done. And that doing what needs to be done is, you know, the whole idea that you're going to stop human trafficking is bullshit. What you need to do is you need to make it fucking expensive, okay? The, the idea that you're going to stop online purchasing of these types of weapons and potentially ostensibly weapons of mass destruction is bullshit. What you have to do is you have to shine a light on every single place that could potentially happen and make it so egregiously expensive and time-consuming to do that they go and find something else to do. That's the only thing that's going to that's going to disrupt it. And that's really the idea behind OTE. It does not exist online at, at this juncture. It will be at OTE.net. Um, and we're planning on and getting started on that later this year. But, I mean, I think you guys know that I'm involved in a couple other crypto projects. BCT.io, the blockchain terminal, is um, is closing uh, this week, uh, this coming week, I think, 
Um, so we'll be wrapping up that ICO. And that's, you know, bringing the first multi-platform trading to crypto that has a huge compliance base on the back of it. And the ability to look at any other ICO as kind of an app and build that into an ecosystem where, you know, we partner across the industry to give people the best information and visibility to trade. Uh, I love that. I love that seamless um, uh, bridge from, you know, ISIS really sucks and they're doing some horrible things with crypto to, Hey, by the way, I got an ICO. (laughs) Well, well done. Thanks. Thanks guys. Thanks. No, listen, we're, we're, we're getting back to to the stopping ISIS ICO, but you know, what had happened was, and as you know, this, you only have so much bandwidth. And what I looked at BCT as is like, look, if there's a play to start with, because all this comes down to, is regulatory compliance and making things that are you know are illegal or immoral or unethical expensive. And if you can do that, you can stop it. And we've seen that time and time and time again, you know, over the course of history. But um, what really attracted me to the blockchain terminal was the fact that they spent two years building this product called Compliance Guard, um, which is the underpinnings of all of this, which basically runs, you know, it's a, it's a immutable record of everything you do on the terminal. So it tracks all your trading activity. Uh, if you authorize it to, it'll track, you know, our, our integrations with the Sense tokens. So it'll track all your chats. Um, we've partnered with Trading Gene. It's going to, you know, track all your use of algos and that sort of thing. And then, you know, our friend Mark Scarpa from uh, Decentric Media. I mean, we're going to have, you know, next generation video on there with people who actually know what the hell they're talking about in crypto and not people like, you know, your MSNBC or CNBC or, you know, uh, the CNBC crypto people who are like, is uh, IBM a Bitcoin company? You know, it's like, what? They're a blockchain company. I have a question around, I have a question around this because you hit on a whole lot of things in your opening statement that, uh, and then you, then you made that transition. I'm curious about. He's not on trial, Travis. His opening. No, I know. (laughs) (laughs) No, because he posted some interesting questions and I know that, you know, he mentioned how crypto is being used by ISIS and terrorism, uh, people who are doing te- people who are doing terrorism, and, and terrorism is evolving from terrorism. Well, well, listen, listen, the, the, the dollar is also being used for terrorism, okay? Mm-hmm. The, right. the thing is that it's harder to track the dollar. The thing that people are getting pissed about with crypto is like, look, if it really comes down to it, I can pretty much track a lot of the stuff that happens in crypto. What it comes down to, and the reason that you know we necessitated uh, the creation of an ICO around it, is that what I want to do is I want to partner with governments, I want to partner with intelligence agencies, and partner with corporations and non-governmental organizations, and give them different levels of access to the data. Because at the end of the day, you know, you think about this, all right? What we did with crypto inside of a month, with Bitcoin hitting twenty thousand dollars, is that the crypto community made major intelligence gathering operations like Carnivore obsolete. Like Carnivore? Carnivore is the CIA NSA backbone. I mean, it's if you Google, it's all out there. All this information is public domain. But if you think about this, the, the information that intelligence gathering organizations from the 21 Chinese organizations to our national security apparatus to the FSB were all made reasonably obsolete by crypto. And the reason that happened was because the paradigm of information changed. All right. It's not like you can, you know, if you think about this, if someone has a Finney phone, right, which is the new blockchain phone with blockchain wallet, Serian Labs that's coming out, it's going to be pretty hard for people to get the data off of that, right? It's going to be pretty hard for them to scrape your network traffic across that. 
And the same thing kind of comes down to the utilization and the distribution of what crypto becomes for us. I'm sitting here in London and I just talked to, you know, the founders of Xcoin. I'm looking at like what they're doing. I mean, dude, when people come to a utility proposition of simple wallets that allow, you know, the mean girls of high school and the nerds at the opposite end of the table to have the same type of technology to buy crap and to pay for stuff, that's when this stuff starts going mainstream. And I really see that inside of the next 24 months. I see that kind of, you know, wideband adoption that we don't have. And, and the reasoning that I said, look, you know, we need a solution for this is on one side, you know, I'm wearing kind of a national security hat. And I'm like, we need to fucking save our country. You know what? Because this is a huge fucking risk. Like, if you, you look at any of the posts that I've written on Newsmax, you know, uh, kind of covering more of the terror stuff, and I'm going to get back to kind of touching on the crypto stuff, I was just kind of thinking of a good segue to introduce this stuff. And I think this van attack in, in, in Canada is kind of like the gateway drug to kind of start opening that conversation because you guys are in crypto. You know how difficult this is to explain to the layperson. And they're like, huh? Mm-hmm. What? Um, what do you mean, keys? Uh, why do I need two wallets? And, and what I'm thinking is that, you know, some of the stuff that I'm seeing here is, is very utilitarian and driving towards that. But, you know, the, we, we need ways for government to work with crypto in a succinct manner and fashion that allows for the autonomy and development of markets, right? But at the same point in time, that allows us reasonable personal privacy and security of the ecosystem. And, you know, the, should the baddies get fucking caught? Yeah, they should get caught completely. But, you know, I don't know if it should necessarily be at the, the cost of all of our privacy. And I also think, too, that, you know, inside of this whole argument of privacy and where we're going and, you know, what should be happening and how we should be rebuilding our, our next gener- generation security apparatus, because that's what has to start happening, is that a conversation has to be had about the breadth and depth of crypto and where this is going. You know, because ostensibly what crypto is, in my mind, is it's very much like the seven-layer diagram of development that's out there. You know, in, when you're developing stuff for like an app, all the data that travels in the back end of that app goes through this OSI model, which is seven layers of information. And that goes all the way down to packets of data that are transmitted. And what I'm thinking is that as you look at the evolution of the Lightning Network and, you know, developments of new protocols and every new person who's coming out and saying, I have a blockchain that does 30,000 transactions, you know. That's uh, the exact voice they use, too. I know. That and, that and the other thing they, they, they do is they come to the conference and they're like, stop asking me these questions. I'm just a salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> Who hired you? You know, but it, it's it's these types of things are we're, we're going to move towards a world where on the bottom level of this, it's a whole bunch of protocols that are transmitting data and replacing existing ecosystems and infrastructure from banks to, you know, to to like Amazon. I mean, Amazon ostensibly is nothing more than a transmission protocol for goods in between multiple hubs, right? Amazon could easily be replaced by something on the blockchain completely. You just have to decentralize, you know, the order system and the tracking system and the warehousing. But on the opposite side of this, think about what the opportunities are for the development of like really cool stuff. You know, the dApps of the future are everything from, I know, a dApp that like could allow people to to patron style pay for access to the Bad Crypto podcast to, you know, a dApp that would allow people to 
process their immigration into a country, you know, a DAP that would allow you to basically use a crypto bank to authorize your, you know, um, credit for the purchase of a new car. I mean, all this stuff is coming down the pipe, and that's what I find really exciting about this. And specifically, sitting here in Alex Lightman's office in, in London, you know, while he's in on his way to LA, and I'm going to be there next week. But, you know, thinking about the opportunities for this, this is kind of, you know, it, it, the feeling is kind of like you kind of have to imagine what Andrew Carnegie felt when he came back to America with the designs of steel plants in his head and and basically did the first, you know, British didn't like it, but okay, tech transfer to, you know, build the first plants in America. It was like the evolutionary change of things. And that's kind of what we're going through right now. It's just the people inside crypto are the only ones seeing it. And they're also seeing all the bad that comes with it. You know, $400 million in, in fraud last year, $700 million so far this year. You know, what was it? The, the one ICO took like 20 or $30 million and wrote, I'm a penis. Like, there was all that's left on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got stuff like this happening. I mean, that's, that's where I talked, you know, the BCT thing came into play. It's like, okay, you got compliance. We're partnered with, you know, Miko Matsumura's ICO Governance Foundation, you know, the, the whole goal there is, you know, I, Miko wants to stop this stuff from happening. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to stop all this stuff from happening. But, you know, taking on from what I started with, with the anti-ISIS stuff, now this has to be fit into a consumer model on the one side and has to be fit into a national security model on the opposite side of this. One that really allows, you know, I think mainly the American government to work in cahoots with industry to say, listen, there's going to be effective data sharing for the prevention of terrorism, but there should also be the availability for people to live their lives with some sort of, you know, privacy. Yeah, um, I have a question around that real quick, though, because it's like you, you, you talk about, you know, some of the terrorism stuff and how crypto community is using it or the, how, you know, the terrorists are using crypto and it's making it's kind of changing the game. You know, no, last month we saw, I guess it was earlier this month when Zuckerberg, you know, was meeting in front of, of you know, the congressional committee and was answering all these questions. And it didn't seem like a lot of the congressmen actually even knew what the hell Facebook was, right? Like many of them just were completely clueless. And then when you start throwing out stuff like terrorism and terrorists are using crypto, that just, I think, maybe scares them on a level. So what what can we do to ensure that, you know, the, the crypto community uh, or the crypto space doesn't, you know, suffer from, you know, more regulation because of this and, and, and finding solutions? Because it seems to me that a lot of the politicians they don't understand Facebook, let alone blockchain and crypto. I think we as crypto folks need to understand that our role is threefold, that we are ultimately ambassadors of this newfound technology and protocol that can be used for everything from money to, you know, ensuring refugees are, are the appropriate people that they need to be and providing documentation for the documentation less, right? To like um, Finland's doing that. That's an, it's, it's amazing what Finland was doing, giving them all like their own card connected to a crypto, and so it allows them to uh, to be able to pay bills and get paid. That's a, that's a good use. That's a great use of blockchain. It's a fantastic use, and you know, there's there's a, a other startups like Ananas, um, which is here in the UK, that raised I think like 1.6 million. That's you know helping people uh, navigate through differing codexes and understandings of religious. Um, documentation to you know they have a partner company that's working on a, a phone 
that basically when you deploy it to any refugee, it allows them to create an ID, you know, because what we have is this, this huge problem of internally displaced people and refugees within their own countries, let alone, you know, displaced into other countries. And there, there's, there's, you know, I'm going like broad based and you can also do stuff like loyalty points for, for ice cream. But, um, you know, crypto's got all those great use cases around it. So I think, you know, one is those that we have to be those folks, the ones that tell the story. Um, because, you know, this country, well, America, uh, is, is built on great storytelling. If you go all the way back to, you know, the Depression, I mean, storytelling is what carried us. Two is uh, I think we need to demystify a lot of what is going on right now because it's moving, you know, three weeks in our industry is a year in traditional industry. I mean, I remember we used to say three months in social media was a year. Three weeks is a year. I mean, it is not just moving fast and furious, but, you know, keeping up with the information is crazy. I mean, we went from, you know, the context being just forks to we started talking about spoons a couple weeks ago because the first spoon happened. And, you know, instead of a fork splitting into two, uh, a spoon gives you an extra. So it splits into, you know, this one's on the main chain. Then here's two for you as a gift. And if it's both, um, then we can have a spork. We should totally, totally like write that up. We just like, like, and this company has performed a spork. The world's first crypto spork. So Maybe we can know, do that with bad coin. Right. We should totally do that with bad coin. We, we <laughs> talked a lot about how terrorists uh, you know, are, are getting their hands on crypto and using it. But what about criminals just in general? Because, you know, a lot of people in the mainstream or that really don't know what's going on with crypto think, oh, that Bitcoin thing, that's just, that's just for criminals. So how bad is it actually? Honestly, the, the stuff that's for criminals is Monero and Zcash, okay? And, and the reason it's, it's, it's that is because it's reasonably untraceable, and then Monero had added that extra layer of encryption, and now that's really only existing on Monero Zero, um, potentially Monero Classic, and, and don't even go... If you're not into crypto, Monero split into four currencies, and what you're be, going to be getting is letters from places like Poloniex saying that, like, oh, we're not supporting this anymore because this we don't support that wallet. But if you want, you can transfer your crypto to some other place. Cool. You know, we, we have to take a look at, at what are standards inside of the community for ourselves. We also have to take a look at, you know, what is the utility of these things inside of use cases on the dark web, which is what we've done, you know, over the course of the last year. And we're going to roll into our ICO later this year, or early next year. Um, and that is, you know, how exactly do you cross correlate this data and, you know, basically break some of the codes around this stuff. And we've been able to successfully do it for three cases. One is terrorism. The second is child trafficking. And that's not just overseas, that's here. And if people don't understand how big of a problem this is, you know, pay attention because this is, in our time, one of the greatest crises we have in America. And President Trump has been real big on stopping that stuff. And then, you know, the, the third use case, I think, is for, let's call it soft crimes, you know, which are, are which it's not necessarily guns and things like that, because that also exists. But I want to take that and put that in, like, another conversation. Because, you know, it's, it's a little hard to have grenades delivered to your house through UPS. But Etsy, it is... Etsy. The, you know, they put a little sparkles and designs on them. You can get them on that. <laughs> Joel, those are decorative grenades, and okay. they were they were they were only to be used on Valentine's. Day. Yeah, but but they're they're the bomb. <laughs> 
Oh, Oz, you just you just <laughs> like, uh, worst dad joke ever. That is Thank you for that. Oh man. Um, and he lost his train of thought as a result. I know. No, no, no. I, I'm just joking. Just, just like I, 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 used to, I used to get that fucking shit thrown at me after 9/11. It's like hey, here's a bomb, and I'm like, oh fuck off, man. Both, uh, both Travis and I have dabbled in a little Monero. So you're saying if we're holding Monero in a wallet, that we've got some forked coins. Uh, you should, if you're holding Monero in a wallet before the fork, I think you should be getting three new tokens or one new token, depending on how they structure. No, you should be getting one new token and then the two are new blocks that are being developed off of whatever block they branched it from. I can't keep up. I know I've got some Bitcoin private somewhere and I've got some Litecoin cash somewhere. And now you're telling me I've got Monero. I've got invisible coins. I don't even know how to get them. But that's well, I'm, tell- I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to come down to a consumer wallet. The person who deploys a consumer wallet simply that, you know, I told you, like the, the Heathers or the Mean Girls at one end of the table, the nerds at the other table will both use. They're the one that win, you know, whatever this arms race of wallets is right now. And they're going to be soft wallets. They're not going to be hard wallets because no one has time for that. And that's that's kind of the problem of our industry. You know, big traders, institutions, they're going to use, you know, guys like I have one of my clients is talking about like military grade storage in an underground bunker that's EMP proof. Okay. And then there's like my mom who's was talking about like you know just a simple bitcoin account and like calling me panicked when the petro got banned by the united states she's like i hope you didn't buy any petro and i was like one i would never but you know no you know it's just those types of things like we we don't have enough information out there on us and it's super nebulous and to a lot of people it sounds like a cross in between you know swedish match which was like the first ponzi scheme and something that's too good to be true from the 70s sort of hedge fund era And I don't think what they get is like what this really is, is this is three eras all in one that is never going to happen in, in at least this lifetime again. And this is like 1922 where they created new monetary instruments, 1974 where they created hedge funds and 1996 type technology acceleration all at the same time. And that's, what's bizarre about 17 and 18 right now, because that's what we're going through. Mm-hmm. And and it's the inability of like the general public to keep up with this stuff and and our kind of need to you know it's I mean if you read most of the medium posts on this stuff it's hyper technical I actually maybe I'll do this after this I, I gave a deck in Dubai where I was just trying to explain to people how they should value tokens because you know not everyone reads white papers not everyone looks at the stack no one not everyone understands basic tokenomics or you know brokenomics as I like them to call it and. In one video, but I might call it Ozonomics because people are like, you should call it Ozonomics. You know, but like how this stuff works inside of an ecosystem by which it just generates value from stuff that we had before that we didn't use, which is data. Mm-hmm. Did uh, you upload that like on SlideShare or something that other people can take a look at? Um, I'm going to. I, I just got to clear it with legal um, at BCT, but I think I'll pop that up. Uh, I'll probably just SlideShare it um, yeah. over the weekend. I have a question around around some things, right? So since we're getting into this technical stuff and we're talking about, you know, national security and we're talking about Monero and so I have a question around, you know, so there's been some people who have who've asked us, you know, you know, who, who've hit us on various different channels and they said, hey, you know, what are the thoughts that the NSA was the one that created Bitcoin because if you look at this MIT paper from 1996, it looks like the NSA was thinking about this. Is this something 
that cryptocurrency is 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 was put into motion by some of these governments because if we look at you know the IMF and what they're doing with special drawing rights and the potential for you know all of the crypto transactions to go through sort of one channel one network where they can sort of monitor them all and you know is that a concern is that cuz people have chatted with us about that and then also if that happens where you know all of that crypto traffic ends up going through this certain network where the you know the international monetary fund can monitor that through special drawing rights and assetizing everything uh, is that mean that Zcash and Monero have a brighter future because people cherish their privacy more so? I mean, can you unravel that or help us make sense to some of that right there? Yep. Uh, so a couple couple different points there. One is that the IMF is panicked about cryptocurrency right now. And to your, your point, um, you know, people should question the IMF. But the IMF has made their money predominantly over the course of the past, I don't know, 80 years by issuing high interest loans to countries that said, okay, I'll take the money. And those loans, you know, get paid off over, I don't know, 100, 150 years in some cases. There's country, you know, it's the, the British debt to us from World War One was just finally paid like two years ago. Wow. Okay. That, that took a while. Yeah. So, you know, that's how these big banks make all of their money. And what has happened is a twofold, twofold phenomena. In the United States, most of the major banks, well, I wrote about this in Newsmax, most of the major banks and most of the regional banks have stopped accepting crypto deposits, meaning money that was made by crypto. The reason for this is because inside of, inside of the United States, we've got different regulatory bodies, right? And so we have the CFTC, which is the Commodities and Futures folks. We've got the SEC, which is the Securities and Exchange folks. And then we've got the Fed, who's the money folks. Now, if you look at crypto, Outside of the argument, is it a utility or is it a security? So let's take that argument and set that to the right. Let's move that over. What we have is the challenge of, is it a currency? Is it a commodity? Is it a utility? And no one can, or is it a security, right? But let's mm-hmm. put security and utility in the same stack. That's that same question. I mean, you know, the IRS says it's property, uh, the CFTC um, right, they may think it's a commodity, and then the SEC thinks it's a security, and then other people think it's a utility. So that's very confusing. Well, and the, you know, the, the Bundesrepublic of Germany has declared it cash. France just mm. dropped the taxes on it, so they're not treating it as anything. They're just saying the taxes are lower if you use it in France because they understand the liquidity of markets, they understand the velocity of cash. I mean, one of the smartest things that President Bush did. Just give everyone 400 bucks back because what most you know elites don't understand in America is that 400 bucks is a lot of money for a lot of people, and you can do a lot of stuff, especially around Christmas. That's making a lot of people happy. Maybe they paid a gas bill, maybe they bought a toy they didn't think about they could buy, that kind of stuff. Now, when you start translating that into crypto and crypto gains, and you start looking at some of the early investors and what they're posting on forums like Reddit or Telegram channels of the cryptos that they they watch. I mean, these are people who are proud to own like one Bitcoin cash, okay? These are people who are like, I bought my first Monero. And what we're dealing with now is the equivalent historically of plantation workers opening their first bank accounts. That's the social impact of what is going on right now. The IMF, you know, again, terrified. The Fed has some good people that have started to come in. I mean, I know one of the undersecretaries, 
uh, who actually used to be the uh, Repub- he was he was uh, the husband of the Republican um, county chair for the, for Manhattan, and uh, you know he he went to he went basically to take that position as an undersecretary. But the, the CFTC chair as well, Giancarlo, has basically said that you know we want to allow this industry to develop and start regulating itself. So is, American- is that the Trump uh, administration's position it, it, or he himself? Do you, you know, can you speak about that as you break this down more? I can speak on behalf of being an RNC surrogate. So what I will say is officially this, that the Trump administration and the current government is very optimistic about the future of cryptocurrencies, but would like to see a step towards formalizing regulations come from the industry itself before it has to step in. That, that's good to hear. Okay, carry on your, your last train of thought there and keep on packing. The only reason I wanted to say that is because, like, in, in my official capacity, that's, you know, all I can say there. Um, but, but you know, the, the general is is that, like, look, if you look at this from the global perspective, the Japanese went and put a kibosh. The, you know, the FSA went and shut down exchanges that were doing Yakuza stuff, which was basically going into people's wallets, taking their crypto out and trading it and then putting it back. And, you know, now, if there were a bank, that would be perfectly legal. Right, because banks only have to keep ten percent on deposit. But you know, they eliminated this because again, it goes back to that: like, what is it? Is it currency security? Is it uh, is it a commodity? The Koreans uh, went and shut down the exchanges and then opened the exchanges again because they realized that there's almost a billion dollars worth of taxable revenue coming out of this. And the Europeans are moving towards some you know interesting standards. Liechtenstein treats. Uh, most crypt, major cryptos like cash right now for, for deposits. So, you know, to, Travis, to kind of like end cap a couple of things, the IMF is panicked. Most international regulatory bodies are following the SEC and will continue to follow the SEC. If the SEC says dance, they'll dance. But the bigger problem was that America used to guide the world and they were a bunch of babies. And what the Trump administration's position has been is that y'all have countries, y'all grown, go take care of yourselves. And I had met with a bunch of diplomats after the, the election um, and after the inauguration last year. Uh, they were panicked. They were, they were absolutely panicked because they're like, what do you expect us to do? And I'm like, he expects you to lead. He expects you to pay your bills. He expects you to pay for your own military. He expects you to just run your countries. And if you think about this, we're in, you know, people are like, why do we need such a, such a big military? We are in 68, maybe 72 treaties right now that would call for us to go to war if any one of these people ended up in some sort of maritime conflict. Mm. And, and post-Obama, you know, Obama did a big troop drawdown, but we're in 14 different countries in maritime conflicts with at least eight to 15,000 troops deployed. So that's put us into these, you know, what, what my buddy John Melcon at the Center for the Study of Civil Military Defense at West Point calls, you know, the soft pain in your side. It's kind of like this ache that you can never get rid of. And that's the current state of war we've gone into. And then with actors like ISIS, you know, coming into the fray and then, you know, moving out of Syria and going into Yemen and going into Africa, we've got a new next generation of decentralized online asymmetrical crypto powered warfare. And that's what's got to be tackled. And we're just really kind of starting to buck up to it. Because this is, you know, the technology is moving way too fast for the regulators, and it's moving way too fast for a lot of other folks. 
Yeah, so you there, said we were, we were getting, we were aging a year every three weeks. I mean, we've gained Joel and I, we, we've gained like 15 years already. So we've done this podcast. In <laughs> you guys are, you guys are such sages, man. Like such stages. It's like you know, dog years, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> crypto years. But yeah, you know, I mean, that, that's kind of like that's part of the unpacking. The other part of the unpacking too, is that, you know, we need, I mean, I'm a big, um, I don't know if you know Anu Barwaj, but I'm a big proponent of um, women investing in women or women in crypto because, and it's not, you know, people say this, this shit about like, you know, get more women, get more minorities. I'm a minority. It's not get more people in. It's make it interesting and enticing to people so they want to do it, you know, because you can't say get more people into the plant to make steel because guess what? That's another problem we have in America. There's all these skilled jobs that no one's going and applying for. No one. You know, there's millions of these jobs open. So big proponent of that, big proponent of what she's doing. We're partnering with them actually over at the blockchain terminal to kind of give them space, content, you know, just really guidelines and stuff. But I would say actually, you know, the, la- the last thing, what we should be doing is that, and maybe you could do this with bad crypto because I definitely don't have the bandwidth, but I'm happy to come on, is kind of like the bad guides because, you know, the whole idiot's guide thing is too freaking retro in 90s. Well, and copyright. <laughs> <laughs> totally copyrighted, right? <laughs> you maybe be the Idiot's Guide. What's an Idiot? The Total um, Crypto Morons Guide. But no, I think you should just have like some simple bad guides, like you know, like two or three minute guides that that are done like I don't know, like like um those eighties training videos. It's like it's like no, Travis, don't hit execute on that large purchase without checking data first. <laughs> <laughs> Double check that address or you'll lose your crypto like Joel Com. And <laughs> you'll have like some bad music in the background. <laughs> that's actually really funny. That, that's yeah. funny. The bad crypto guide to crypto. <laughs> that, would be, that would be dope because we need something like that. We need something that's like two or three minute segments that you can share with your mom or your grandma, because do you know who's getting ripped off in Korea? Freaking grandmothers. Is that right? I, What's I was sitting, I was sitting with some, because, because here, here they, they are pitching like institutions and, you know, high net worth people and they have to put at least $250,000 in. I pitched a room in Korea, which was full of grandmas and grandpas. I remember we walked in there and our translator was like, ah, Housewives, you know, and um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because it's such a culture difference, and you know, we pitched them, and and I think we did raise some money from that. But but what happened? Totally, did he culturally appropriated the uh, the Koreans there? That was that was brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, everyone culturally appropriates my stuff. You tell Hollywood when they're done terrorist casting me. No, wait, you wait, wait, you mean you're not all terrorists? Oh my god. No, no. Uh, only only my second cousin thrice removed. <laughs> so let, let's talk about um your prognostications then, because you do seem to be closer to some of the um the officials that are making policy on this, and you kind of have your finger on the pulse. You know, of course, McAfee says uh he's gonna be eating a tasty member if it doesn't hit a million by the end of what is it, twenty twenty one? Do you do, do, do you understand it's it's there's the website out there that tracks it and you're like yeah, yeah. fifty fifty dollars off from the McAfee curve right yeah, now? Yeah, no, I'm aware of that but so 
you know, what are your thoughts, knowing the math of this, knowing that we have just mined the 17 millionth Bitcoin, scarcity continues to, you know, go up while supply goes down. Mm-hmm. And we had this massive bull run followed by a, a healthy pullback. Here we are at 400 billion market cap right now. What is your prediction as we move through this year to the end of the year and then uh, beyond? Well, I think there's there's a so in terms of regulations, uh, the European Union has this thing called Memory Two, uh, which is going to become a huge problem for banks and is going to make crypto way more attractive. And what that basically means is, let's say before Joel went to his bank or Travis at Travis Bank, and he said, "Hi, Travis, I'd like to buy a home mortgage," and Travis goes, "Okay, let me go to my mortgage desk," and you know, he calls, I don't know, Mark. And Mark says, the rate's 7.5. And, and Travis goes, well, come on, man. Joel's a great customer. Give us a better rate. He goes, fine, 7.0. And he goes, great. And he comes back to you and you go, fine, you have a mortgage at 7. So what this, this ruling is doing is, is based, and this one, in fact, last month, is saying that for every single product you sell a bank, you have to have three prices. You have to shop it. Now, with crypto and the blockchain, we can do that in like milliseconds, Okay. How long do you think it's going to take a bank that's never done that, like come up with a process for that? So that's going to drive people to start looking at crypto, specifically from the institutional side. And that's going to come on a global basis because everyone does some sort of business with Europe. The second thing I see that's coming is a larger scale. You know, one of the predictions was that there's going to be a state crypto in 17. I think what we're moving, and you know, the Petro kind of came, but it's really just an oil-backed token and not a state crypto. I think there is going to be a move from the African countries. You know, Kube Coin, who I met at uh, most conference out in Dubai, I think they've got a great proposition. The folks who are behind uh, Fide, uh, which is a new token, um, one of whom was, you know, uh, one of the founding members of Cardano, John. I caught up with him earlier today. And, um, you know, they've got an interesting proposition for microcap funding other ICOs that, you know, only need a couple million bucks. Um, and that's really, again, looking at the African subcontinent. And third, I think, is that these moves from, you know, these rumblings that we're hearing against, you know, former colonial powers by people who are like, y'all owe us a couple of dollars. That could push a move towards a shift from monetary systems that bank with Europe and into more crypto. Now, that has some tremendous uh, opportunities of impact, right? Because one, what this does is this could put monetary systems in countries that really didn't have strong monetary systems like overnight and create the ability for community-based lending and a variety of other things that are reasonably altruistic, but also drive local economies. Sort of beyond that, you know, Bitcoin, congratulations, happy 17 millionth birthday. But, you know, Bitcoin's not the only player in town. We are currently mining $10.5 million worth of Ethereum a day. Vitalik has been talking about putting a cap on this. Now, something like that has been, you know, discussed and discounted by other folks. And so we'll, we'll kind of have to see what plays out with that. But, but you know, that, that's something to watch. Um, EOS currently hit 15.53 last time I looked at it. EOS is going to continue to rise. And as the frameworks roll out for speed and efficiency on their network. Um, we're going to see proliferation of applications. Seventeen dollars, actually. Now, no, well, there you go. That yeah. was that was like this afternoon. You're going to see a proliferation of apps, and that proliferation of apps is going to drive velocity in the market, and it's going to drive price. 
the last thing to think about is that there's you know additional tokens that have different value out there. Like you know, buddy Craig uh, Tether just uh, issued what another three hundred million dollars worth of token, and Tether's holding consistent. So what we're seeing is is that there's a opportunity for additional value to be added to tokens over the course of time, and that I think is going to become kind of a new norm in a market where a large number of these tokens are going to be looking to raise additional funds after they've burned through their burn cycle. And then on the opposite side of this, I think what we're going to get is a, a huge check on a lot of coins beginning in 2019. Because, you know, where Wall Street looks at this, and this goes back to my saying, y'all don't understand how to rate crypto, is Wall Street looks at things from balance sheets and books and different perspectives. Crypto is 3D programmable money. I love so that two- visual. That's I just I'm I'm envisioning it. Wait, I, money is 3D. I'm looking at actually a coin right no, now. No, man, th- think about think about the dollar bill as a block, right? And then so in the two edges, what you have is currency and you know you you basically the number of currency issue and value in a dollar. That's what you have. But on uh, on a, a crypto, you also have additional vectors of that, and those vectors are you know, um, usability, um, feature functionality, scalability, and then, you know, the price of gas and other things. I mean, right now, the cost of doing something in the Ethereum blockchain is still like three bucks, but it's still cheaper than Bitcoin. Bitcoin's got the Lightning Network that has rolling out. And I've been, you know, looking at some of the the, the Bitcoin uh, protocol naysayers. And, and what we're finding is that there's this new world where being reasonably technical is going to be the new norm. If you're going to really understand this kind of stuff. Um, and we're going to need to create these new positions and roles, you know, for crypto techno analysts, that kind of stuff doesn't exist. So I think that, you know, it, you, looking at your traditional analog television channels, your MSNBC, your, you know, CBS, your ABC, that sort of thing. I think they're quickly going to be outmoded by Twitch channels. Okay by our friend Mark and Decentric Media, by podcasts and YouTube videos out there, because those are the people that are actually doing the research and getting the accurate information. So there's going to be an information gathering shift. And I think that's reasonably going to affect millennials and Gen X, or sorry, Gen Z first, because they're already watching this stuff. And all that had to happen is, you know, someone goes and snaps a clip of some crypto video they thought that was really cool and syndicates it to a bunch of their groups. And if Snap is dead because the Kardashians killed it, you know, then maybe it's Instagram stories or something else. I mean, I don't know. I can't really predict that portion of the, the next six months. The CFTC and the SEC are going to come to some sort of head outside of talking about the European regulations. And what that's going to do is that's going to set the stage for either massive moves forward or a bit of a retraction as people kind of wait for a more positive sentiment to come out. In America, again, we're, you know, New York, we're going to have problems with things like this bit license where we had a guy who I think was a consultant who frigging wrote the bit license and then quit his job. He might not have been a consultant, he might have been state hire, but quit his job to basically become a consultant to help people get bit licenses. You know, that whole bit license thing took a huge burgeoning community of crypto in, in the Wall Street arena and killed basically it. killed it, mm-hmm. killed it. We want to make sure that doesn't happen in these other areas. Uh, that, that, that poses another question in Oz, because I, I've chatted about this quite a little bit. We had John McAfee on the show, and I asked him, and he sort of berated me about, um, look at the globe. Do you see any lines or borders on anything from the from a space or whatever? But my thought is, is that 
you know, here we are in America and now the general consensus is if you're doing a blockchain project, then you should probably not start it in America because of the regulations and the uncertainty of how it's all set up. And it seems to me that more and more innovations, especially, you know, I think we've talked to over a hundred different ICOs on our ICO spotlight episodes. You know, the majority of them are not in the United States. Some of them are based in the United States, but they've moved their ICO or they've moved their project overseas somewhere. And so I'm seeing a lot of the innovation kind of leaving America and going to other countries. What, what's, what are your thoughts on that? My personal purview on this is that if you're going to start an ICO in the United States, that you use the standard corporate shell structure that is recommended. And I'm happy to talk to someone offline about that, but I'm not going to be giving legal advice here. Mm-hmm. You know, but use a standard extraterritorial corporate shell from one of the many, many places that you can go to, ranging from the Isle of Man to Cayman to so on and so forth. And that is a good way for you to securitize yourself, not just from the crypto asset perspective, but also from the tax perspective. Because should the federal government declare crypto a stock, okay, or a commodity, so to speak, there is a 40% tax implication. The big things to think about. It, it, would that um, become right. retroactive, or is that like they'll set a date and they'll say starting on? I don't know, and I think you know, knowing that knowing the way that President Trump likes to move things, and knowing the way that that some of the folks in this administration are, and you know, I, listen, I met Trump twice. I'm not saying I'm friends with the guy. Do Wait. you have dragon energy? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. But um, you know, knowing the way that he wants to build this country, I mean, look at what he did with Kim. And, you know, what South Korea is saying right now, for the first time since the Nixon era, we've got to move towards diplomacy. We've not seen in decades. Okay. We've got the end of a 70 year war. We've got to move towards peace. And why do I keep talking about Kim? Because guess what? One of the biggest areas for crypto in the goddamn world is South Korea. Right. We did a lot of new ICO in North Korea. I'm going to do it in Pyongyang here in a couple of years, man. That'll be pretty baller. Was that your Pyong coin? <laughs> Ping Pyong. <laughs> favorite game. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I think, I think the last thing is inside of all of this is that we're going to see more tokens push towards the radical democratization of this, these currencies in the hands of people that did not have them. And that's going to change a lot of different things. You know, the same way that you had people get into Bitcoin at 14 cents, you have all these people like, oh, man, I really wish I'd done that. You will be able to get into some new token at some discounted price, and you may be able to buy it on a Bitcoin ATM. Okay, so then what it's going to do is it's going to branch that digital divide. There already talks about that kind of stuff being mm-hmm. deployed. The haves and the have-nots, it seems like it's it could, it could get here sooner than later. That's one thing that I, you know, when we had Ronnie Moass on the show the first time, you know, that's one of the things he said, the risk of not investing in cryptocurrency now is greater than the risk of investing just because, you know, you have a chance of becoming a have-not down the road if you're not in some way dealing in cryptocurrency. And I say the same things. It's like, look, I mean, we're coming into the era where 5G is right around the corner in the next 24 months. And -hmm. we're going to have, you know, 30 gigabit connections to our phones and to our autonomous cars and our refrigerators and everything. And, you know, why are we going to want to go to the bank whenever I can send Oz money through Stellar Lumens and you'll get it in three, three seconds? Yeah. I mean, right now it's Venmo, but you know, 
Venmo is maybe not de rigueur, um, and it's definitely not outside of the U.S. And mm-hmm. you know, fa- Facebook Pay had it for a hot minute. Google Pay had it for a hot minute. But it's like, why should you have these people connected? To, why should your Gmail account be connected to your bank? Right. That's good. Because they get upset at you, they'll shut off everything. Like whenever YouTube got upset at us for a video that we produced in August that we didn't even know was even a problem, they then not only did they ban our immediately ban our channel, which we had no strikes on it. It was actually a video where we talked about Coinbase and it had an affiliate Ooh. code in there. They literally about a month or a month and a half ago they banned our account. Then they sent us another email that said. Uh, well, you're, this video is a, this video is a problem. Then the next video is up. We're shutting down your channel. The next video is they shut down all of our Google services. So they can, in one instant, you know, eliminate every single service that you have. If, if you have a piece of content out there that they don't like. What, what do you think happened, you know, with, with Facebook and a, a tremendous amount of conservative content over the past oh, couple of years? Censorship. Mm-hmm. I mean, Diamond and Silk are two yeah. black ladies right. who happen to have a conservative bent to them and are very big supporters of President Trump. And, you know, they have literally been, I mean, it's like they're harder to find. And the yeah. content suppression conversations, and really, I guess, to your uh, your conversation earlier about, you know, what do we do about these these representatives? I mean, it's not just the representatives, it's the judges. It's it's really, there's there's time for a cycle change. And, you know, there are more members of Congress that were born uh, in the great generation than there are generation Xers. So let that sink in for a hot minute. Right. Okay. How long, how long so, exactly is a hot minute? No, no. It's, About 10 it's kind seconds. Of a synthetic Six, minute. 12, 12 crypto years. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, can you, can you just hold that for four BTC commits? Yeah. <laughs> that's it's 400 satoshis please <laughs> so ch- change is definitely in the air and more people are are getting you know woke as we like to say oz sultan there's links to oz's content his medium his twitter um on the show notes at badco.in forward slash 119 i got one last question for you oz and that is uh some people think that we only need a few crypto kind of reminds me of the guy, the exec for IBM that said the world only ever needs two computers. Um, and others think that there's going to be, you know, a million different token utilities. What do you think on tokenizing all the things? I think all the things are going to be tokenized. And I think later on, you're going to have mergers of tokens, which we will call some stupid term like reverse spoons or potentially the spork. And I think that's what the spork should be is when we merge two back together. That'd be great. Uh, I love that. I, we should, we should do that. We trademark Joel Com. But, uh, you know, I think, I think that's what's going to ideally happen because it, it, think about this way, okay? The easiest way to think about crypto is to think about America in about 1850. In about 1850, there were different regional banks, and there's still different regional banks in America, but your Illinois dollar might only be worth half of a New York dollar, and a New York dollar might be worth two Ohio dollars, okay? So that's where we are. We are in a state where you're just having to deal with people who have created different vehicles for buying different things and they exchange at different rates. And as soon as people start snapping up to that, and personally, I think it's going to be women first and then a group of younger men. And then, you know, we'll have this big bell curve kind of coming over, uh, starting with Gen X and then sort of petering out into the boomers and whatever's left of the, the great generation. Um, but, you know, that, that's really what's going to drive the change. And then I think there's, there's also kind of a compliance aspect to this 
um, and a, a really organization. So, you know, Jill Richmond's data in the United States has already helped push bills through in Wyoming um, and is moving towards Nevada and some of these other places. And what that is doing is, again, it's moving to build those standards you're, you're talking about a little earlier in the United States to make it a fun place to to have crypto. And I think states realize that doing that will really give them that kind of wealth generation in ways they never thought about before. Delaware is next on the list. Nevada is next on the list. You know, that's going to happen. And then I'm putting something together. Um, you know, I've had some conversations with, you know, a couple of my buddies from Hybrid Block and a couple of dark pools. And, you know, what we're putting together is a crypto compliance consortium with a bunch of folks around the globe. And if there's any of your listeners, to talk to regulators, you know, that's what we're looking to, to bring in initially. And if there's any of your listeners who are exchanges, we're looking to talk to you about coming in because, you know, we have enough juice in between a bunch of us. We just kind of figured, why don't we just start talking about standards? Because if we can do something like that, doesn't matter how many cryptos you have, you have the ability to create a trading place by which everyone understands that the unit that they've invested in is something that they can either allow to appreciate or they can spend it. And that's really the foundation of trust, and that's the foundation of money. And if we can get to that, I think we're all in a much better place. Well, let me ask you this then. You know, is there any other things that you think is pertinent for the uh, the audience of Bad Crypto, the Republic, uh, the citizens of the Republic of Bad Cryptopia to know uh, about what's going on in the world, what's going on in, in the crypto space? Any other final thoughts? Um, I would say I would say three things. Don't look at the Europeans to lead. Look at them to kind of figure out how all the complex regulations that they've put in place between memory and GDPR and some other stuff are going to are going to push out. Gibraltar has pushed the first um, regulated exchange, and that's going online a little later this day, this this year rather. You know, Malta is becoming a new crypto republic um, by itself. We'll have to see if Brock's vision of crypto Puerto Rico, which, you know, really we could attribute also to Mike Turpin to, to be really kind of one of the, the first folks to go and try and, you know, and, and basically figure out how to get crypto to, to Puerto Rico is, is something that actually happens. Um, I want to give a shout out to people like Tim Lewis, um, who is at the DNA Fund, who's working with a lot of folks down there and Scott Walker who are investing in, you know, rehab. I mean, they're investing in power, investing in water, that kind of stuff. I think those are kind of some of the good first steps for crypto to do. But what I will say is this, from the Burning Man crypto side of the world, y'all got to figure out how to go and do light footsteps into other places that you haven't gone into before, specifically when different cultures and people are concerned, because there's a, a pervasiveness of the, the perception of the colonialist, and we need to erase that. From the Wall Street crypto side of this, I think y'all really need to understand crypto as what it is, three-dimensional money and three-dimensional applications. Because if you continue down the path that you are going, mark my words, you will cease to exist. He is the sultan of crypto, Oz Sultan. Hey, Oz, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we'll, we'll have you back here again in the future because you got lots to say. Thank you. Put me on with McAfee. That'd be funny. <laughs> you have a round table, bad crypto round table and have all of our best guests on one zoom call. Great stuff from Mr. Oz Sultan. And I'm sure he will be back on the show again in the future. He's actually the second time he's been on. Well, we did have him on a live Facebook video before. I don't think that actually made it to a show, Yeah, but if you are a member of the Facebook mastermind group, 
uh, the Bad Crypto Podcast Mastermind uh, at uh, badco.in forward slash mastermind. You get access to those live feeds and videos that other people do not get, like our video with Scott Adams and some of those other things that we've had, like the uh, John McAfee and some other stuff. I mean, we, we primarily put that stuff in the mastermind group. So if you're not part of the mastermind group, what's your problem? Yep, it's free. What are you waiting for? Come on in, join the conversation. Over 7,000 strong there, but uh, way more than that that are listening to the show. And if you don't mind taking a moment to go review us, on iTunes or Facebook or wherever that you get to listen um, and, and leave us a review so we can say, hey, uh, we know what they think of us. Of course, if you don't like the show, then uh, you don't, ain't got, nobody got time for that. So, But if you listen this far into the show, you probably like the show. I'm just saying. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying. You probably, you probably like the show if you listen to this whole, whole thing. But this is, a, this is a really interesting episode with Oz. I mean, he's got such a unique perspective. You know, he is a, an American Muslim. And he's working with governments and helping out and trying to solve the terrorism problem. I mean, just a really great dude. Fully understands the crypto space and trying to help make the world a better place. You got to love folks like that. I do. I do love folks like that. And we also love folks like you that listen to the show. So once again, thank you so much for taking time out of your precious day. Because it is. I mean, you only got one today. And today was your today. You just about spent it. But tomorrow you'll have another today. And That's hopefully true. the day after that, and the day after that, and the but day eventually after. you'll die. But eventually, so you don't have an unlimited amount of those. Yeah, no, we all we all gonna die at some point. Uh, but for now, while you're alive, do your very best to stay bad.